Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Those who are in support of the motion, say aye. aye. And those who are against, say nay. The ayes have it. What you're listening to is a parliamentary session in Nigeria. You can hear dozens of votes. But what you won't hear are a lot of female voices. That's because women make up less than 4% of Nigeria's parliament. Nigeria ranks among the bottom 10 countries for female representation, despite political initiatives to increase those numbers. But why? Most women are not participating because they are afraid of being molested by our male counterparts, being stigmatized. But if you are determined and you remove fear, you make it, why not? This is Kate Raymond Mamuno. She comes from Adamawa State, which is in northeast Nigeria. There are 25 parliamentarians representing the region. Mamuno is the only female. Why is she the lone female parliamentarian? There are many reasons for this. First, women often face widespread harassment and need to fight against deep-seated gender stereotypes. And practically speaking, they usually have less money and money is crucial to run a campaign. Honestly, we are lagging behind when it comes to funding. Mamuno says she was motivated to become a politician because of disadvantages she faced. One of the biggest disadvantages, education. I want to level the ground for every girl child in my constituency in particular. I want to start because I was a victim of the girl child education. Her father refused to pay for her school as a child because she was a girl. And to many, education was an investment that seemed wasted on girls. At the end of the day, we were going back to our husband's houses and whatever, that kind of mentality, you know. We were left at the mercy of our mothers. Thankfully, her mother cared. She found a way to pay for her daughter's school fees. I remembered her elder brother, who was a major in the army. So he took care of me educationally and otherwise. Mamuno thinks one of the ways to increase women leaders in Nigeria is to start at the root of the issue, get more girls in schools. I have to break that ceiling and ensure that a girl child in my area is carried along. As we mentioned, Mamuno did not have a lot of campaign financing, unlike many politicians. So how did she win a seat against the odds? And what are some of the most promising solutions to get more women into government in Nigeria? We'll find out just ahead. I'm Rena Nainan. On today's episode of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, production of foreign policy, we hear how a nonprofit called Connected Development actually helped Mamuno run for office and what their tactics tell us about the fight for gender equality there. But first, we turn to Nicole Grossman from the American University. Grossman conducted dozens of interviews with female candidates who ran for office in Nigeria last year. These women ran with the main political party there, which had a big initiative to increase its female representation. And yet, they failed to deliver this promise. 
what Grossman and her co-author, Olumi Obeshison, learn from female candidates is eye-opening and gives a much fuller picture of what Nigerian politics is like for women. Here's my conversation with Nicole Grossman. We've been focusing on the APC, the All Progressives Congress, which is the ruling party of the current president and the former president, mostly because they are the biggest in the country. They are well known. They have a fairly good rate of getting women to run for office and be elected comparatively to the other parties. But at the national level, they'll say one thing, but what happens in reality is completely different. So, for instance, the APC said, we're going to waive the nomination fee for any female aspirants. Anyone who wants to run, we're going to waive that fee. They had 800 women show up to register for the, the national level politics on this free waiver. But they made them pay for their own transportation to Abuja to do it. They had to pay for, you know, all of their own hotels and everything in order to do this. And women can't afford to do these things, especially if they're running for a more localized office and not a national level office. And so these incentives are often seen more as publicity stunts. What are these other incentives that on the surface seem like they're going to help but really don't help? They keep making more and more of these official groups that are set up to encourage and support women through things like mentorship programs for those who've been in the, in politics for a while to assist those who are maybe new. Those have been unbelievably unsuccessful. <laughs> uh, the, the competitiveness of the women who are, have been previously successful in, in Nigerian politics. They basically don't want to be assisting those who are new and up and coming. They're seen as threats to their position. There's this idea that only so many women are will, will ever be elected to office. And so the women are even more competitive with each other than the men because there's so few spots that are given to women each, each year. So these mentorship programs are really this kind of publicity idea. But in reality, what they're getting is sometimes false advice, <laughs> um, like actual attempts to hinder somebody's a bit of campaign as well. In 1999, the goal was to have 30% participation of women in politics. And at that time, there was actually 12% participation. 24 years later, in 2023, there's 4%. How do you explain that? So I think one of the things that's really important is remembering that in 1999, the country was so excited. They were so excited for democracy, right? They had just come out of this military rule that was extremely difficult for many, many people. All these parties were being formed. People really wanted to be engaged in the process. And I think women were just as engaged, just as excited about their ability to start being represented within government. I think as we have seen, the democratic process seem to deteriorate somewhat over the last 24 years of politics. It has been a discouraging factor. And I think that is one reason why women are less and less likely. They aren't seeing the changes that they were so excited for. They're seeing all of this negativity toward them for just wanting to be engaged to begin with in politics. All these hurdles exist. What do you think people who don't follow Nigerian politics would be surprised to learn about women in politics in Nigeria? So there are a lot of nuances that I think, particularly those of us in the global north, would not 
think about as being barriers for women in politics that exist within Nigerian society. And so one of those is what we refer to as statelessness. And what that means is that women typically will run for office in the state that they were raised in, which is the state of their father. But once they get married, if they move to another state, technically they should be allowed to run for office in the state of their husband or the state of their father. But in reality, they're often denied both, being told when they go to submit nomination forms, they're often told, oh, you actually have to run in the state of your father, or you have to run in the state of your husband, and they get pushed back and forth. Something that would not occur to most of us who don't study Nigerian politics, right? That is one of the issues that has come up. Another issue is just the financial component of what it takes to run an election in Nigeria. Elections in the United States are extremely expensive. The last election in Nigeria in 2023 actually cost more than the Nigeria, than the elections in the United States in real dollars. Tons of money goes into those elections. And women in Nigeria are often economically disadvantaged for cultural reasons, for economic reasons. And so just to get your own nomination forms submitted, it can cost over a million naira. It's a ton of money for somebody in Nigeria. Which is how much in US dollars? You're looking at, well, around $1,500 just to submit your name for candidacy to run. And I want to also say that this is all unofficial money. Essentially, this is bribes um, that you have to pay in order. So there's there's an official amount you have to pay. And then there's this unofficial amount that you have to pay in order to mm-hmm. actually get your name into the system. And so um, this is extremely difficult for a lot of women. And so they resort to what are called godfathers. They look for people who are politically savvy, who are well off to sponsor their candidacy. The difficulty with doing it that way One is many women have reported being asked to um, commit sexual favors in order to get that sponsorship to begin with, which, of course, is not how politics should work. But number two, if you do have a sponsor in that way and you get into office, then the expectation is that they will get paid back in full in some way. And so the community ends up not benefiting because so much has to get diverted to contracts that benefit your godfather or things along those lines. And so it really, that system is really not a great way to work. When you talk to these female candidates who wanted to run, what are some of the themes in the interviews? What did you learn? Yeah, so there's a few things we've learned. One is, uh, I guess, as we've already talked about, is the kind of financial component is unbelievably stressful for them. The women often said that the party leaders themselves are the problem. The party leaders are what is keeping them from even getting out of the primaries because the party leaders are essentially selling whoever will pay them the most to the delegates. They will straight up ask for a bribe and then you pay it and they'll say, well, I just got this from this person. So can you up it? And then once the delegates are told, here's who you should be voting for based on whoever paid the highest. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the women said that the the biggest hurdle they actually have is getting out of the primaries because their own party leaders are so corrupt. The other thing that I think is interesting is a couple of women have talked to us about how this initiative for a free ballot or a free nomination form is actually hurting them. And 
it is being used against them by the men they're running against. Right. How so? Yeah. So the men will say they will they will say things like, why would you elect this woman? She doesn't even care enough about you to spend her own money on getting into this campaign. Right. She's not really dedicated to this. She's just doing it because it's free. Right. And that messaging works. And that messaging works. So you talk about party leaders. You talk about corruption. What else makes it harder for women to enter politics in Nigeria versus other places? It's cultural and religious beliefs are really difficult. One of the things that I think is really interesting is if you look at those women who actually have chosen to run, particularly in the North, where women have less individual freedom, they tend to be more tied to what their husband prefers or father prefers. Those that tend to run are often divorced or widowed women. Why is that? Because the men won't let them. Because men don't want to, even if they do support them, even if they do support their wife, running for office. The second she actually starts to do that, other men in the community will come and tell him that he doesn't have control of his wife. His wife might, must be a prostitute if she's out all late on these campaign trails, you know, and they, and they will shame him to the point that she then ends up removing herself from the race. Hmm. And this is a huge problem in the North. The actual meetings oftentimes are in the middle of the night because people have families and they work. And so that is the time they actually hold a meeting for state office or their local LGA, their local government area. It'll be a meeting that starts at 2 a.m. And husbands won't let their wives do that. And so there's very much a cultural and often religiously imposed hurdles that women are struggling to get into politics because of. And this is less so in the South, but it still does exist in the South. I don't want to make it sound like this is just a Northern problem. So if incentives do not work in Nigerian politics, what in your experience does work? So there's a few things that have been successful. And so for instance, in Adamawa states, we had the possibility of the very first woman governor. She ran on the APC platform. She has been a, a previous senator. Her name is Benani. Everyone was really excited about this opportunity. Ultimately, she did not win the election, although that case is currently still in court. But what made her successful is the fact that she self-made. She has a lot of money, so she can run, which is a big thing. She has done a lot in her communities. She is known for being useful for the community as a whole instead of what typically happens, which is paying off individuals in order to get votes. She works to kind of develop the community, which is really, really helpful. And people see that and recognize that in her. But the biggest thing that makes her a great kind of model for how Nigerians might be moving forward is that she has the support of many educated men. And so if you talk to men who, you know, in the state who are highly educated, who are involved in not necessarily politics, but maybe in the business world or other, other areas, they all see her as somebody who's really competent, somebody who cares about her community, a woman leader who doesn't just support women, which is something that is kind of a concern men often have in Nigeria in, in supporting a woman in politics. And so I think that one of the ways forward is obviously women supporting women more, but also having 
educated men be more outspoken about their support for women and, and kind of helping within their communities support women candidates a bit more. I think that would be extremely helpful to see happen. There's only 4% of women who are elected officials in Nigerian politics. 24 years ago, they were aiming for 30%. Do you have any hope that the system will change and allow for more female participation? And what will it take to get there? Interestingly, the, the very last question we ask every single person we talk to is, will we ever see that number in our lifetime? And women are hopeful. Even they, they all say absolutely. Some of them say as early as 2027. How? They, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers. I know. How <laughs> is it possible, Nicole? How can they be optimistic? Um, well, I think one thing is that Nigerian women are unbelievably resilient. A lot of them, even if they themselves aren't running anymore, they are still advocates. They are still out there trying to get women to run, trying to find good candidates. And a lot of them say that they're, they feel that women are finally reaching kind of that breaking point. They're reaching that point where they're saying, we're done being pushed aside. We're done having our dreams crushed because we're women, which is essentially how they feel they're being treated. It's just because they're women. And so you're seeing more and more and more organizations of women at like the, at the local level, at the state level, who are starting to kind of get together and push for these changes. I've talked to people in places like Kenya and Senegal and Rwanda and those who have tried to who have been successful somewhat in, in increasing the number of women representatives. And they all say the same thing is that that wouldn't have happened without the law to move from, you know, being a signatory of, of declarations to having literal laws requiring affirmative action. And it wouldn't have happened without external pressure. And so I think you need to see really responsible businesses, international businesses who care about through democratic institutions saying, we aren't going to work in your country under these conditions. And so that's, I think Nigeria is going to have to have a very similar approach. That's a great way to end. Nicole, I could imagine a better expert to talk to us about Nigerian politics. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. You just heard from Nicole Grossman, a PhD candidate in international relations at the American University School of International Service. Her dissertation is based on fieldwork in Nigeria. So now we know why there are few women leaders in Nigeria, but what could increase their representation in government? Coming up, Assemblymember Kate Raymond Mamuno, who you heard at the top, shares the rest of her story. And we learn how a nonprofit helped her campaign More on that after the break. Let's face it, money is the one subject we all need to deal with, but no one actually wants to talk about. The good news is there's a podcast helping you learn everything about money no one taught you. Meet Everyone's Talking Money, hosted by me, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money and just helps you get in a better relationship with your money, no matter what your goals are. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, a production of Foreign Policy. I'm Rena Nainen. Now we turn to northern Nigeria, where a big focus has been on women and the fear of violence. A recent survey by the D.C.-based Education and Policy and Data Center 
revealed that less than a third of all girls attend secondary school there. One reason? Women and girls in northern Nigeria are under the constant threat of violence. It's a headline you might be familiar with. Back in 2014, the Islamist militant group Boko Haram abducted 276 girls from a school in Borno State in northern Nigeria. The incident has now become an international cause, in large part due to a social media campaign titled Bring Back Our Girls. Boko Haram is still harming many in this region. The name literally translates to Western education is forbidden. And women and girls there face various other challenges, high rates of child marriage, low numbers of girls in school, and gender-based violence, just to name a few. And yet despite these obstacles, Honorable Kate Raymond Mamuno managed to get an education, become an assembly member. She represents part of Adamawa State, which is in northeast Nigeria, directly adjacent to Borno State and also under threat from Boko Haram. So how did she do it? First, some courage, but also Mamuno got help from a nonprofit focused on influencing male voters. Reporter Yechenu Sesetu has more. Kate Raymond Mamuno says nonprofits played a big role in her political journey. Honestly, I would have not reached this position without the help of the Connected Development and other NGOs. They trained us in media engagement, citizenry engagement. One of these NGOs is Connected Development, or CODE. It was started in 2012 by Hamzat Lowell. Their first goal was to hold the Nigerian government accountable for a deadly lead poisoning outbreak. Lowell says the organization then expanded its mission to empower marginalized communities throughout Africa to speak out against unchecked governmental power. What we do is we expose their shortcomings in empowering communities and citizens with tools and access to knowledge and information so they can ask the right questions. A big part of that mission is helping women in Africa overcome injustice. This, he says, was inspired by his mother's experience. So she, as a teenager, when she finished junior secondary school in trying to continue her education, you know, they literally ganged up against her, citing culture and religion and saying, you know, she should go and get married. And at that time, she was just less than 18 years. So whenever she tell me the story, I see the bitterness and sadness in her face. And that really, you know, motivated me to start advocating for the end of early child marriage and girl-child marriage and forceful marriage, and also ensuring that every girl, irrespective of where they are, get access to timely and quality education. Hamzat says in order to get more women in power, you have to start with getting more girls in school. According to Code, more than three out of five children who have dropped out of school are girls, and early marriage also often cuts off their education since men insist their wives stay at home. That needs to change, says Code's program manager, Zaliha Lowell. When you look at the research, girls are the most disadvantaged because also the period where these classes take place, the girl is supposed to be doing house chores. So education is not all about the book that we learn, but we also know that it provides life skills, and life skills comes with public speaking and other forms of leadership. So I think the future is even now. Code is now working to get even more girls in school. They've teamed up with the Malala Fund to push for free education for girls in Adamawa State. If you want to see the future of Code's vision for Nigeria, look no further than their own offices.
There, management positions are evenly split between men and women. And this is why the work in schools is so important, says Lomika Mamunu. Education opens doors for opportunity. If you are a little bit educated, you know how to handle issues. You know how to go about mobilizing people to come to terms with you, to come to understand you better. This brings us to Code's other major form of gender advocacy, helping women get elected to office. They train us a lot in, on how to engage media, on how to use our branding, and that one alone has given me a kind of uh, success in achieving what I am today. Beyond making it possible for women to run, Hamzat also likes to remind voters that, in fact, Nigeria was once ruled by women. If you go back memory lane, you had Queen Amina Uzazao, who led men into war and conquered nations and brought victory to her people. If you go down memory lane, in the same country, Nigeria, you see women have led. But because men have seen the strength, the powers, the innovation, ideas, and how women continue to serve, because women are natural leaders. So they've, they've become scared over time, and now they've put together a stumbling block. Hamzat is proud that Cold helped Mamunu get elected to office. He hopes that the more women are represented, the more gender issues like increasing access to education for girls will be prioritized by the Nigerian government. He also knows there's much work to be done such as changing the laws in the Nigerian constitution that will make it easier for women to become independent candidates. They've started a hashtag campaign, Not So Feminine to Run. The next national election is in three years. Lowell hopes more women will be inspired to break through the political glass ceiling. For us to make progress, for us to prosper, we must allow women to take leadership position. We cannot define the role of women. Beginning in the classroom and leading up to the highest levels of government, Hamzat Lowell and others at Code are hopeful that one day, once again, a woman will lead Nigeria. I'm optimistic and I strongly believe that the female presidency is possible in Nigeria. I want to see this in my own time, where I would be proud to tell my children that leadership is not the face of leadership is not only the face of men. For the hidden economics of remarkable women, I am Yechinu Sasitu. So far this season, we focused on how to increase the number of women political leaders and what we can do to hold governments accountable and ultimately get more women into office. Next week on the podcast, we go to visit another sector in Nigeria, startups and how women in tech are having their Me Too moment. Some of the biggest names in the startup ecosystem in Africa. And you have allegations of young people saying that they were abused. That's next week on the podcast. And that does it for today's show. The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women is a production of Foreign Policy and is made possible through funding in part from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women is hosted by me, Brina Nainan. Laura Rosbaut-Tellum is our senior producer. Rob Sachs, our managing director. And Yechenu Sasitu contributed reporting for this episode. And if you like our show, we hope you'll share the love. If you're on social media, do post about it. And if not, tell a friend how much you appreciate the show. 
Every little bit helps us grow our audience. Thanks again. We'll be back in your feed next week.